Yeah. I think that listener just spit his yeah. Corsair whiskey out of his mouth. Yeah. Like he usually does. Yeah. He just listens to it. I don't even know if it's his eat. mouthwash. Yeah. Yeah. He just drinks Corsair and spits it out. Yeah. I went to a gin thing, uh, a gin event at Copper and Kings on Friday. And that was pleasant. That was cool. There were some gins I haven't had, so. Copper and Kings have been doing a good job on their events. They do a ton of stuff. Well, the space is so good. Like, I mean. Yeah. You've been out there, right, Brian? Yeah. I haven't been out there since they're actually producing anything, but. Even if you're like. Still pretty. Yeah. It looks the same because I I was out there before they were producing. Yeah. They had all the stuff. None of it was just, none of, nothing was plugged in. (laughs) Yeah. It's, That's how distilleries work, right? It's yeah, just you don't one need to plug, plug anything in, in the back. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't need like water and stuff. <laughs> it's 2018, guys. We're wireless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Devin and Chris and everyone wanted to go out, so I was I was kept out against my will. My wife was involved in this too, of course, and uh, and uh, not really that much against my will. I was like, I'm going to be in bed by 12:30. <laughs> Says you who got pizza at 4 a.m. Then I got a pizza at 4 a.m. <laughs> Anyone who says they're going to be in bed by a certain time before midnight always ends up at a strip club at like 2 in the morning. That's just yeah. like, that's the fucking curse. What really sucked me in was this. It was a bar called Barbarella. And I'm like, Excellent well, movie. sweet yeah. movie. I'm like, yeah, let's check this out. Wait, hold on. I, I have a quick question. Is your method to get rid of all the background noise... Surrounding yourself with mattresses. <laughs> is that I, what's I happening have, right no, now? <laughs> I have built a pillow fort, and it has been the best fucking day of my life. I got to build a pillow fort for my work. I really I there, wish yeah. that you never acknowledged it, Colton. I just was going to ignore it the whole time. <laughs> Every day I yell at my kids, quit tearing up the cushions. What are you doing with the couch? Here I fucking strip the bed. I'm surrounding myself yeah. in cushions. I've got a mattress. It's it's kind of delightful. Yeah, with See that it. mattress, it's like the Nashville streets, man. There's so many mattresses oh, yeah. in Nashville. It's, it's the gross. weirdest Apparently thing. that's the way you deal with mattresses. Yeah. You're just Nashville. like, oh, I just put it on some street somewhere. <laughs> but anyways, it was a great time. It was an 80s music video dance party. That is pretty sweet. So That is actually really sweet, yeah. Uh so I danced with the girls, and it was fun. <laughs> so what are we talking about? I don't know. We got a couple things that we could... Uh, we were thinking maybe maybe fermentation, maybe cuts. Did we have something else? We did have something else. Oh, yeah. We talked about uh, barrel aging regimens. We were talking about like our different yeah. perspectives on like, hey, what about 15s and I guess even 5s and 10s and... Versus Let's 30s and 53s. Okay. Well, because because then, then we can also talk about like Solera aging. Uh, we can talk about. I mean, there's a lot of you know warehousing um, guidelines. Like, what is a good you know temperature control, humidity, different regions. Yeah. I mean, barrels. You know, in terms of aging, that's pretty cool. I like that concept a lot. Right, and I think that we can. Uh, you know, I don't want to ruin it by talking about it now, but I think we should talk about the whole reason we started this conversation today. Right was because of that panel at ADI. Yeah, I, I mean, don't. I mean, you don't have to call out specifics or people or what. Just you know, you could talk about like, hey, they talked about this, and there were people saying that. Well, you're just yeah, you're making a forgery, right? Like that was that was the word. Yeah, that was the forgery. word forgery, okay. right? So let's actually use this as a segue. So there was a panel at ADI. Colton, do you want to go into kind of specifics of what it was about? Just a quick recap. Yeah, I, I guess it was a panel. I, I actually didn't go, um, but it was. I heard about it. <laughs> it's okay, I was there. <laughs> uh, making you talk about the thing I, I went I to. I want to say there were what five or six people. Half half of them were uh, the quick aging uh, mindset, and half of them were the more traditional, long, long and slow. Um, and a lot of the you know the quick aging guys were, you know. 24 hour, two week, whatever, and you'll have a 80, 90 year old bourbon or 
whatever they're. So Those are all accurate numbers. I am certain of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't have the full panel in front of me, but I know two of the standouts for on opposite sides. One is Brian Davis, who's been in kind of our industry news a lot lately. Uh, he's yeah. Brian Davis, Lost Spirits. He has been advocating for a while what he calls his patented rapid aging technique. Um, we can get into some of the details of that specifically if we want. That may be a whole different conversation because I think there's something to be there, there's there's conversations we should have about that, and I'm sure we all have our opinions. But he was kind of for the for rapid aging side. There's a couple other people, uh, but on the other side would be like Gary Spedding, who is at Brewing and Distilling uh, Analytics, I believe. Uh, he's a really well known. I, transparency, he writes for me as well. He's a PhD, really smart. But he was very yeah. much on the mindset that. Aging is aging. There's science behind it. You're not just extraction. You're also talking about maturation, oxidation, all that stuff. So those yep. were kind of the two camps. They broke down different party lines. But it was a really interesting talk. I wish they had way more time. I felt like yeah. essentially an hour was not even – they couldn't even scrape the surface. They basically just got to throw a couple barbs at each other, and that was about it. I think what's crazy about it is how kind of a divisive a conversation point it is, right? Like, sure. There's like two camps kind of in it and – yeah, I was talking to some people who came, you know, right after they got out of the session, and their people on both sides were super amped up and yeah. like, just roaring and ready to go at each other's throats. So, it's surprisingly uh, it tribal. Interesting. Yeah, and, I think- and you know what? Though I mean, that's okay. I mean, I, you know, I'm all about passion. Yeah. Um. So, like, be passionate about your your points, but be respectful too, which for the most part, people are. Yeah, I, I think that's key. everyone's respectful because, you know, I don't know, but yeah. Right. I, and that's actually one of my things. I think that the rapid aging and I'm, I'm generalizing a lot here, but I think some of the rapid aging camp could be, could work on that a little bit because I think they are getting attacked a lot. So they tend to feel like they need to be a little sassy. They need to kind of throw out some pithy remarks and kind of undercut sure. the people chopping them down, which I get that, in, that, you know, that instinct, but I think it's the wrong path. Like Brian, I like Brian Davis, but I think he can come across as kind of like a confrontational ass. You know, I'm not saying Brian Davis is an ass and we can cut this if we decide to, but he can come that across that way. We'll no, Brian right. Davis that's, the leading, that's the leading line right there. Actually, I don't even really know him. I saw, like I saw him at ADI, I don't know, like several years, years ago, ago yeah. when right. he like was first doing his thing. Right. And, uh, I, I think yeah. the, the one, anecdote, right, right. There you go. <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. I, I think he could maybe, I, I think he's used to people attacking him and someone like Gary Spedding, you know, it, Gary Spedding in person is like one of the sweetest human beings in the world. And it's, you're not going to win by kind of just trying to make Gary Spedding look like an ass. He's just too sweet and he will, you know, He's going to throw a lot of science at you. At the end of the day, it's it's <laughs> you got to focus on that. But isn't isn't that isn't that what the sort of the, the mode that Brian's coming at it from? Like all the aging guys before have been, you know, smaller, increased surface area, or you know, wood chips and all. You know, that sort of yeah. Brian know, is using chromatography and he's yeah, mag- right? yeah he's integrating peaks of compounds right. And I think that's probably where Gary's going. It's like, well, yeah. First off, those compounds are vast, even yeah. to try and match those peaks. And then beyond that, it's not just the addition of compounds or the reactions right there. There's, like you, you said it before, oxidation. And so you're kind of like, they're focusing on maybe the esterification, right? And the I concentration think, yeah, I think right esters. now that's always Right, and that, that's on. totally true. And like something that I'm adamant about too, and I know Harriet Watt preaches this in their literature it sounds like a religion now um but uh right like they say like clustering plays a big role to it too like the ethanol water clustering and that's why it becomes smoother spirit and like there there is something to that right like over time that gives you that time so you're evaporating or you're you know condensing and then it's clustering and it's it's changing how it. The mouth and and what does that what does that make it do to the spirit, Zeno? What what word was that you used? That that one that you like so much? Your favorite spirit? No, I'm not going to say smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Smooth is bringing a lady home and having your mattress stand up, <laughs> right side up, having the, the pillow with the camera for right on it. Made. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to right pillow fort, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amanda is so lucky. 
No, I mean, like I, I think I, I definitely fall on the slow and long aging side of the debate. But where I see a huge influence and you know benefit of what uh, people like Brian are doing are, you know, just by f- figuring out the science for us and helping us understand. Okay, so at 15 years old, these are kind of the compounds that we're starting to see, right. and so we can we can then you know backpedal and figure out from there all right well if this is what we're liking at 15 how do we you know start that sooner or or how do we increase that flavor or whatever that precursor compound is to to help move that along yeah i I think a lot of that i mean again (laughs) you you kind of have to go more upstream like how your fermentation and your distillation dictates all that yeah and i think that's what we've talked about this before is maybe you don't agree with the rapid aging Maybe you do, but you cannot refute that there is there can be really a, a lot of good things that can come out of it, right? It's a tool. So, yeah, right. But I mean, even if it's findings, and you're like, yeah, okay, I don't really like. I think you kind of have to have a spirit that you really are very passionate about that is aged that way, and I think you people could flip their script if they had one. I'm not saying I have or I have. I haven't had a ton that are you know. Yeah, I don't even know if I've had his rum. Probably, I can't remember. Not, not his newer version, at least. No, so, no, not at yeah. all. Like, it's been I don't a couple think years I've since I've had it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't think well, I've had he it. So re, I he revamped his entire process in the past few years. Right. I'm pretty I, sure. I so. will say this: I do know a distiller who had some experience with it in the rum when he was first trialing it out, and he had the iPad controller. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was hustling that and hustling in a good way. I use hustling in a good way. Um, and that particular distiller didn't care for the flavor profile. And I mean, we're talking about something subjective here. There is serious science yeah. about it, but I mean, one's one man's smooth is another man's boring, right? Right. I think the big thing you have to track down is if someone's pushing the science, which I think Brian is, you've got to find the ones that are actually doing it and not just, as you say, in the negative light, using the word hustling just to try and pitch something, pitch a system or get some investors. Because I, I asked uh, Luis Ayala about this. I asked, would you be interested in doing a story on rapid aging, you know, as it stands now? And he said, no, because every five to 10 years, someone new comes on the scene. They get a bunch of investment dollars. They say they've figured out rapid maturation. Uh, they throw a lot of, you know, a lot of money and a lot of marketing at it. And then they disappear within 36 months. He says he's seen it kind of these peaks and valleys of rapid maturation marketing. And he, until he says, until he personally sees a really good system that someone will open their doors and let him look at everything, not just kind of the peripheral science, you know, the marketing sexiness. Uh, he says basically it's it's a non-starter. So, and I don't know which one Brian necessarily is, what camp he is. He's been around longer, I think, than most. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, uh, the actual science pans out and it actually does work as well as it says. And I think, like you said, the rum, some people really like the rum. Others maybe aren't as much of a fan of it. And I mean, he's done his due diligence. I remember in that talk, how many, whatever, how many years ago it was, like four, I don't even remember. Anyways, it doesn't matter. He. Many whiskeys ago. Yeah. Many, right. yeah. I mean, he, he has studied a lot of organic chemistry and how those reactions, what what's actually happening. So, I mean, he speaks well to it. And I think he's a great ambassador yeah. for that. So Um, my biggest thing is I think whatever happens with rapid maturation, I think they have to market it as a tool and market it as a different category. I mean, I don't think you can just come out and try and make it the equivalent of even say a four-year bourbon. I don't think you can say I have a rapid, rapid aged four-year bourbon because on a marketing scale, that's a huge loser. Consumers are not, at least right now, consumers will look at that and they will basically piss on it. No, I'm not going to touch that. Rapid aged. Because right now, there was a survey of retailers, bartenders recently, and the most common question asked when it comes to quality, you know, trying to consume. Yeah, exactly. Consumers trying to identify the quality of a spirit. The first question is always, what is the age? So you're coming at a consumer education level. Two weeks isn't. No. Two weeks isn't a great answer to that. No, so. no. So they're the immediately going to pass on it. And if you're yeah. trying to put you anywhere near that market value, it's not going to work. Now, if you're trying to come at it as a much cheaper alternative, then I think what you do is you try and market it as a secondary product. They they probably need maybe to change you know the classification of it. Maybe it's a DSS. Maybe it's something else. But and I may be completely wrong on that. But my gut tells me that's going to be the only way forward if you want to 
actually make something profitable. Right. And I, I think, Colton, there was something specific that we were talking about when I was like, oh, they're going to have, there's going to be some good findings out of it. Oh, I mean, the best, to me, the best and sort of most interesting thing I've heard about from the rapid Asian, especially Brian's testing, has been <laughs> he couldn't account for the amount of acetic acid that was in the whiskey. Mm, that, that, you is, know, that he was a, tenta- that I'm he really was glad testing. I sparked your memory. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it turned out that basically the... What what's happening is that as the angel share sort of evaporates through the barrel, you get these little alcohol droplets droplets on the outside of the barrel. So your the outside of your barrels are basically covered with acetobacter that are eating it up and just dripping in, you know, acetic acid for fifteen, twenty years. At right. a very, very slow rate, but right. you know. So I think, you know, just expanding on that outside barrel chemistry is going to start playing a role in how people right. think about stuff. And, and and that's what sparked our conversation where I was like, okay, you know, this is going to, they're going to find something that we're going to do something else based on something that yeah. they're trialing or playing with. More but science and to, education is always a good thing. Right. And you have to take an approach. And if you don't think that big boys look at these kind of things, then you are wrong. Uh, they do. Right. That so, you okay. don't think. <laughs> Zeno, I'll ask you this because this gets asked to every single panel I've been to where you have the people saying rapid maturation isn't a real thing. It doesn't exist. They always say if it existed, the big guys would buy it in a heartbeat. So it can't it's it's what you're peddling isn't real because someone big hasn't bought it out and made it either disappear or utilize it to save, you know, billions of dollars. So what's your response to that? What do you know? What can you say about that side of things? They look at it all the time, but we do creative ways. There's things that you creative like having. Uh, you know, dump rooms where they you proof down. So you dump a barrel, you fill it with water, and then you let that water soak at a certain temperature and a certain time, and then you proof down with that liquid, yeah. right? Like we, they've been doing crazy things like that forever. So I'm not saying that, I, I don't think anyone should take that approach. It doesn't exist or someone bought it. No, they look into it. It's just not at a profile where they can find it useful in their system. And they don't have the need for it. Like, I mean, if you yeah, have what so doing many is different working, barrels at so. so many different ages, you kind of have set your precedent. You, you don't really, we, they don't need it as much, but if they look at it all the time and if they could somehow work it in, and if to your point, Brian, if you said it was like a marketing thing, like, Hey, this experimental, I could very much see that happening at any one of the big boys. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's the, there's the question is when there is, if, if, and when there is a breakthrough, breakthrough do you think it's going to be craft side or do you think it's really going to be you know macro scale double macro scale double <laughs> double, double and triple macros <laughs> uh we are going to beat that horse pretty bad. <laughs> uh, we have one joke listener you've heard it uh, <laughs> we also occasionally mock xeno's uh, sexuality so there's that <laughs> yeah right all the time actually it's pretty bad um <laughs> Ah, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know which one would be who would break. I I think that I mean because you got to have a lot of money to even start getting into that science to have the equipment to you know handle something like that. It's not just yeah, going to be like wood chips he, and a washing not what Brian machine. Was doing so. back then it was like it's an affordable investment, and the, he was doing things where like, hey, do it for this long and you can trial it. And yeah, it's because you're right. one of the first people to do it. And I'm sure it's you know evolved way beyond that from when I saw it. I think that it would probably, it'll come from there, but the big boy will make it. A big boy is going to make it. If it's, if it happens, a big boy will make it really happen. So here's what I think will happen. The innovation will probably happen on the micro scale, but what they'll do is they'll, they'll basically show a successful brand. So a micro brand will get somewhat semi-successful on its own to the point where it's worth being acquired by a larger brand. And then the second that happens, they can then use that as their flagship to showcase this new experimental, you know, system. And then they can build off of that flagship. So it'll start macro, get acquired. And then I think from there, it'll kind of, you know, it'll spin a lot. It'll be interesting. And then it can grow. I really like how we're just predicting the future of the industry. 
This is all, yeah, very this important This is fact-based. Yeah, like, you should take this all to heart. Science. Take to the bank. I go invest in stocks. Everything. Yeah, all that's the how stocks. it works. Not right? stocks yeah. and spirits, but yeah. stocks. Stocks. Right. stocks. Like, yeah. I think you Nissan's going to gonna bank, have a good year. I think you go into the bank and say, I'd like one stock, please. That's it. <laughs> Is that not how it works? Because I've been buying <laughs> yeah. stock from a guy at the bank for a while. He's not in the bank. He's actually right outside of it. Yeah. He works out of a van. Yeah. But that's just because they're renovating his office. It's cool, guys. Yeah. <laughs> he just trades you old hypodermic needles. Yeah. Right. And on it, it says like, printed one legitimate stock. Yeah, one yeah. stock. This is worth 4.3 stocks. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, so let's let's talk about... Well, yeah. So the, the, this is a great. That was a great lead-in because the whole point. What we kind of wanted to talk about was what we were talking about. Talking about. Oh, this is a terrible podcast. Um, <laughs> we're so was, was like, wh- what do people do? Like, is is it negative to be like, oh yeah, you barrel age in fifteens? Okay, it tastes. It's too much. Too much oak, and it's too intense, and or. Oh no, that's fine. Like I see, it's a necessity, and it's still a good spirit. It's its own unique thing. Then you have people like I mean, Lafroy quarter cask finish things like sure, you know. So it's what what is it? What's the right move? And obviously, it's all kind of business dependent. But I think as distillers or people that are getting into it, should they look at a craft distillery that uses small barrels and turn their nose at it? Because I mean, I obviously don't think that. I think you should give everything a fighting shot, right? I I think almost every single small distillery I've been to who utilizes small barrels, they have a plan or a long-term goal to size up or at the very least integrate larger size barrels when they can do it you know, economically. So I think there's definitely a place for smaller barrels, especially if you can find it, you know, work it into a blending program. I mean, Kings County is a great example. You know, Nicole Austin did a great job with a lot of small barrels, finding the right blending techniques to make that work. And then once they were able to, you know, actually afford larger barrels, then they could grow into that. And then you kind of phase out some of those smaller barrels. Not every place completely phases out small barrels. A lot of them use it for, like you said, experimentation, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I think most, you know, most distilleries that are thinking into the future will have a plan where they have larger size barrels. I don't know of anyone that has decided that they're going to make that business decision to only use small barrels forever. forever. I've not heard of one. I, I it's could, not, I mean, I it's not economical that. at all. No. A, you know, no. you're basically a barrels kind of on average, at, you know, at craft scale on average, I'd say 200 bucks a pop plus or minus 50 either way. And if you have to buy three or four of the same or three or four barrels to get the, you know, fill the same amount of volume, it, it just, it doesn't work. It's crazy. Yeah, you, know, you have that cash flow there, but otherwise. Well, and it's almost, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean, if you want to barrel age something for longer than a couple of years, a small barrel, you're going to run into a lot no, of problems. You can't, you can't do that. Yeah. You're going to deal with over extraction. <laughs> it's right? gross. Is that the primary? It's gross. Right? So yeah, is it, it's primarily yeah, over extraction, right? Yeah. Yeah. It tastes like a piece of Yeah, you might like as well chew on some pencils. Yeah. yeah. Or buy Pappy 25. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a product, but yes. <laughs> Not even a product. It is now. You should invest your stocks in Pappy buy, 25. You know what? Brian should, Brian should buy Pappy 23 and rapid age it for two more years. Boom. Oh, my there God. You go. Now he's got his own product. Yep. <laughs> I think that like when you're like those distilleries are starting out, you're you know, depending on your capital, like, it, and you say, hey, hey, we have enough to keep afloat. We're going to rest 53s and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to sell clear spirits or we're going to source something or we're going to source something and finish it. Right. Like th- there's, there's kind of those kind of options. I think blending is huge. Yeah. And having those little barrels around even afterwards is kind of interesting how to do that. And, um, but like you have to, I, I don't think like one, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say because I, I don't love a lot of things that come out of smaller barrels. Like I, so being honest, I don't. Too much oak, not enough age. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that there's like a sweet spot. Personally, if I could stay at 30 and above, that's kind of where I would go. But, you know, you have to work out the numbers. Like fives and tens to me are like that problem. Too much oak, not yeah. enough age. My fifteens are down there too, but 
Yeah, fifteen. Twenty fives and thirties seem to. Yeah. You know your your turnover is like a year or so, and you know your cash flow is still there, but you get a little more age out of it, a little more oxidation, and then you you know your over oaked problem is at least less. I'm really I'm really adamant too about, and I know it pro- I think I've said it on this podcast before, but I don't know reusing those small barrels. Yeah. Then 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 you get into something that is palatable. So is is Lefroy reusing? Are they using new quarter casks each time, or are they? Is it you know? Are they reusing fifteen gallon barrels all the time? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. No, I, 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 I believe yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could I could probably ask someone. That just I would just yeah. be interesting. I'm to, sure the forthcoming with that information is really yeah. Saying. I do email their blender from time to time. Believe it or not. There you go. Yeah. Find out. Listener wants to know. Listener, <laughs> no, we want to know. Yeah, like, shit, I want to know. I mean, I don't. I, I think he's he's come out and said it on interviews and stuff before too. He's like, he's like, yeah, I like Lafroig eighteen. Yeah, like, he doesn't really drink much else besides Lafroig eighteen. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's just not ready. It's just not ready. But yeah, he's like, he doesn't think it's bad. Obviously, that's also. I mean, yeah. that's his baby, though. Too. Yeah, that's that's yeah. hard to. And Lefroig 18 is a great spirit. It really is. Anyways, but I, yeah, I'm curious. You know, is it new American oak? Is it? Probably not, but yeah. you know, like, Here's this brutal small barrel. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, how long We've did you spent rest this 12 in? years. That yeah, was 12 years. <laughs> so what kind of experience do you guys have with using other barrel types like uh, French oak? Uh, there's... There have been a few spirits out there that have used organ oak, Gariana. Have you guys mm-hmm. played with any of those or experimental oak types? You guys work with a lot of wood chips and wood staves and things like that, right, Cole? No. No, no you don't we, do any of that we work, stuff. We work with a lot of small barrels, 15s and 30s. Got it. Uh, but in terms of we don't chip very often. Yeah, God damn it, Brian. <laughs> Learn your okay. stuff. I don't know shit. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've had experience with those with wines. And and brandies with Joe, and, uh, yeah, like kind of what he's like. Hey, hey, try this one. This was aged this way and that way. And like, I mean, you can pretty much. I think anyone could pick out American oak versus French oak. Yeah, ah, uh, I mean that, and that has a lot to do with I think the cis and trans oak lactone. Mm-hmm. The one is significantly in higher concentration and has a lower threshold. So American is, it, I mean, bourbon is pretty oaky. Yeah. Right. So, like, and and they all all those uh, lignin degradation characteristics are really for on the front of what bourbon is. It's part of its. It's mainly its characteristic is the oak. Um. So definitely French and American. Where you get really kind of clever is uh, I'm a big fan of Hungarian oak. Really? It's like it's like poor man's limousine. Right. So like, we had uh I can't afford limousine. We did some okay. apple brandy that we had in uh a Hungarian barrel and yeah, same batch also in a uh Russian Russian oak barrel. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the same forest they pulled it from, but even the just differences between those two was was easy to tell. The Hungarian came out much more sort of lemongrass and you know, and a little bit sweeter where the Russian was a little more, not astringent, but, you know, the tannins were a lot more prevalent, a um, little bit less, you know, vanilla or vanilla and yeah. oak lactone and things like that. I, I know that, uh, well, Hubert wrote that barrel aging book, right? Yeah. Well, when before he wrote that, and he was doing his little, like, workshops, uh, I went to one of them, and he had some the same brandy base and he had it in like six or seven different oaks. And one of them was black Russian oak. And man, it, it was really interesting. I mean, it's, it's crazy what you can do with oak and the different oaks out there. I, I think that, I don't know. Is there any one answer? I think that the precedent is set for like, you know, bourbon you're going to use, you have to use right. A certain oak, but like, are you, can you finish it in different things or, if you're not making bourbon, you're just making. This is where I think American single malt can get really clever, 
right? Like I think that's... And right right now it can't. So this is why we need that commission we talked about last time because you know right now the standard of identity says new American charred barrels. Right. And we need to expand that. Once that gets expanded, I think that's when it's going to be the tipping point where you know I'll find that hey, this is American. This is cool. This is this is what it's going to be now. But it's a tall order yeah. to get that changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things too that one of the you know, like you said, the American oak has such a higher concentration of some stuff, but also the way that whiskey barrels, in particular, get treated versus you know wine barrels or brandy barrels, where you know we're just burning the shit out of the inside. You mean of charring it. versus toasting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. yeah, sure. And then there's you know. All of them are toasted before you know before they're charred, like they're toasted, and it's like, what's that level of toast before you? Charred? Well, not all of them, but yeah, okay, a lot of them. right, but for the most part, yeah, right. So it's like, because I mean, you can get real clever. Profile toasting is a huge thing that's out there right now, right? Like, uh, look at Make, Maker's Forty Six product, right? Yeah. And they're that's pretty clever marketing too, because what they'll do is they'll say, "Hey, what things do you like about your whiskey? What do you like?" And they try and profile toast certain staves to put in to get to that characteristic. So, I mean, that's huge. I know that, uh, Ficard in France, they have it like all automated, yeah. these beautiful barrels that are profile toasted. And then obviously, <coughs> excuse me, independent stave yeah. does that too. And that's even, even the smaller guys do it. Like, uh, black swan does like honeycomb staves. And yeah. yeah. Have you seen their, uh, squirrel? Is that yes. black swan? Yeah, that's Black Swan. Oh, is, I thought it was just a a random no, uh, square uh, barrel guy. But did you drink anything that, out of it? No, I haven't tried anything yet. So they now I know that's Russ is the one behind that. I do, they may have started a new company, so it may not actually be under the Black Swan heading anymore. So it may be another company. I should look into that. But yeah, so they have been working on that for a few years now. But it's essentially a square metal casing with you know, interchangeable like yeah. lattices of wood. Yeah. We just, we just got a s- sample barrel uh, from, it's called Titan barrels. They're out of uh, Long Island where it's, Heard it's very similar where it's, we have, uh, you know, whatever kind of Oak I wanted heads. I think I picked French yep. and then I can, and I can change out staves. Right. Um, and it, it looks like a barrel more than the you know, square version, but yeah. Squirrel. Squirrel. That's what it's called. Squirrel, squirrel. I keep thinking you're saying squirrel. squirrel. I know it sounds like squirrel, but it's squirrel. Squirrel aging. Because it's a square barrel, Zeno. I feel like like it's you just drowning squirrels in a bucket of whiskey in your basement. (laughs) I I should see if that's ready. I don't want to over-extract that. You've got to be really careful when you're aging the squirrels. (laughs) Yeah. I don't use a filtration technique either. (laughs) You have like a Home Depot bucket just full of like... I don't know some whiskey. Animal it's all parts. white dog too. It's all white. It's all oh, yeah. we make spirit. Yeah, <laughs> we had like, this isn't this isn't about barrels, but we were we were getting some uh, some trial corn from a new farmer, and we had them mill it for us, and <laughs> they sent the batch and sent a very nice long handwritten note saying that a couple of of squirrels had gotten into the mill during the milling process and no they were they were apologizing for any fur and bones that we found it was probably the worst batch i've ever had there was definitely a lot of squirrel guts in it so that is awesome <laughs> that is so incredible that was a marketing opportunity wasted yeah squirrel whiskey squirrel corn cool i'm sure everyone's running out to buy some fucking corsair right now yeah <laughs> right that is oh my god this is this is the episode that will blow up because of that yeah, yeah. yeah. i think that listener just spit his yeah. corsair whiskey out of his mouth yeah. like he usually does yeah. he just listens to it i don't even know if it's, it's his eat. mouthwash yeah yeah he just drinks corsair and spits it out um man that was a total sidetrack of uh it all started with you drowning squirrels in your basement <laughs> yeah. in oh. high proof spirits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I want to know more about Solera. What do you guys think of Solera aging? I've seen. I've been seeing a lot more of that, at least in the marketing side. People talking about Solera aging, putting that on their, bar- oh, on their bottles. Mean, what do you think? It's it's the best. It's just it's a it. little complicated to, especially on a craft level, to set up. Yeah. You know, continuous and. 
consistent system to do it, but if you can, definitely worth it. It's going to keep your product consistent and gives you a chance to have that sort of that turnover and, and cash flow while still getting, you know, long aging or longer aged spirits out of it. Yeah, I, I love it too. I mean, yeah, I think you need that initial capital to be able to do it. Yeah. And have the or just, or just build into it, right? Yeah. Like start with a small triangle and you know, and just build it. And up, I want you right? guys to answer if you've had a Solarid bourbon because I haven't. I well, it doesn't Hill Rock does it, right? Hill Rock does a Solera bourbon. I think I want to say there's one other. I can't remember what, off the top of my head what it is now. I'm curious. I'm curious what it's like. I mean, I, my my favorite Solera is like uh, if you think about it, if you take like the Glenfiddich. 12 versus the 15 versus the 18 and i've had them all and i'm like i remember having the 12 i'm like yeah it's pretty good and then i was like i had the 18 i'm like okay yeah this is pretty good <laughs> and then i had the 15 and this wasn't i'm not like a billionaire where i just sit around and buy like sure four hundred dollars like <laughs> worth of scotch i don't even know what that if that's even accurate um but yeah, if, but like the 15, I couldn't, I was like, I remember I'm like, man, this is, that was really good. I, I prefer the 15. Well, turns out it was Solera. Turns out it's their Solera aged. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that made a significant difference. Um, so I'm big on it. I think that there's, there's it doesn't, room. it doesn't make as much sense for whiskey, especially straight whiskey, where, you know, just because of the way our naming nomenclature. The legalities of it. Right. Yeah, like if you're going to age it for two years, so you know, so you have a straight bourbon, and then you're going to move it into a, you know, the second row and the right, like you can make that work, but again, you need a giant scale, and nobody seems to want to, you know, actually go through with that. I'm pretty sure Brian's playing Minesweeper now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, still, he's totally dude. You just that. fucked it up. Why'd you interrupt <laughs> me? <laughs> I don't even know how no. to play Minesweeper, full disclosure. Uh, C- Cedar Ridge, no one does. No one has any idea how that works. Cedar Ridge Whiskey out of Iowa, I know they do a Solera system, but I can't recall if they do it for their bourbon or their single malts. Yeah, anyway. I mean, Hill Rocks, Hill Rocks also is definitely, they definitely have one for their single malts. Yeah, okay, I so, assumed they had so one like, for their bourbon as well, but uh, we I think they do. I have a couple bottles upstairs I should look. Do you think anyone would do it and not put Solera on there? Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that Hill Rock was the first American distillery to sort of to do that and put it on the label, and they had a big, you know, back and forth with the TTB. About well, was it Zacapa right. is the one who really made Solera? Yeah, brought it to the forefront of to the consumer. Like, there. Well, huge. the problem with Solera is it's not necessarily a trade protected term, so you there's not like in it's the standards system. of. I, I know it's a system, but there's no like in standards of identity, it doesn't exactly spell out what Solera means. So a system could be different depending on which distillery is doing it. So uh, someone could theoretically put Solera on their label and not have a true Solera system. They could just have like two barrels into each other. You could put it on your squirrel buckets. Squirrel Solera. I already have. Here's the thing, though. I did it with a C, so it's fancy that way. So, it's you know, the millennials will love it. That's the thing. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're all millennials too. That's that's yeah. that's the stupidest joke ever. <laughs> I don't even know. I thought I was something else. I don't even know what I am anymore, guys. You're you're yeah. the uh you're the Oregon Trail generation, Zeno. Same as me. Oh yeah. So we're yeah, we're yeah. considered yeah. old millennials. So, so we're gonna die of dysentery? Like, I, di- I died a long time ago. From dysentery. <laughs> exactly. Dysentery is dysentery. Dysentery is like when you're you're, you're uh, dehydrated because of diarrhea, right? That's what I think dysentery is. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I'm, I'm no doctor, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> that's also on my squirrel bourbon uh, label. I'm a doctor. You can trust me. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you this: a hundred percent of what I know about dysentery comes from Oregon Trail. Absolutely. <laughs> And that you can ford a river at any time of any year. (laughs) And there's about a 50-50 chance you'll make it. Oregon Trail. I think that Solera has, I I think that there's a lot of room to experiment with Solera systems too. Yeah. Right? I I, I definitely, I think that it's crazy. Like if you have the capital and you can do it, you can commit to it. I think, you know, in a way you're accelerating barrel aging. (gasps) See what he just did there? Full circle. (laughs) 
I, I mean, you are though, right? Like, uh, it, it's a way. I don't know. There's always this very romantic part of some about Solaris. It's like the older spirit mingles and yeah. teaches the younger spirit and brings it along. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I filter it through unicorn eyelashes and. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Cold Obviously. for chill filtered, <laughs> and, I, and I proof down with rainwater from 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 the gods. New Mexico, yeah. <laughs> filtered through the ashes of Pompeii. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, you can say all that; it sounds nice, but I mean, yeah, there's no standard of uh, identity, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love my Pompeii whiskey. And our listener better not be in Pompeii. <laughs> <laughs> Or uh, an avid Minesweeper fan. Yeah. Because he's like, I know how to play, you fucking twats. Yeah. Uh, everyone might know how to play but us. Yeah. I think it has yeah, – We might have be the only three people that have no idea how it works. This is um, – I remember clicking it when I was real young. I'm like, numbers? This this isn't a game. Yeah. This is math. I'm like, where's that pinball? Me. Where's that spacey pinball thing? Yeah. In the internet, where it takes 17 minutes to see a nipple. <laughs> I can still hear the sound in my head of trying doing dial-up. The brong, ping, ping, or whatever the hell it yeah, is. Right. Remember that? Yeah. That was pretty close. That was, that was exactly <laughs> it, actually. I was thinking you Just as good that. as your yeah. Spanish accent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, dude. I think I actually was doing it in a Spanish accent. Did you pick that up? <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was your Spanish accent. Uh, yeah. You know what else I remember is... Uh, Speaking of waiting for a nipple to load, this like on your TV on the cable. Seduce your wife. You <laughs> walk in the bedroom. I'm like, I'm like, slowly show me a nipple, but it takes 17 minutes. <laughs> and right before you get to the boob, right. actually freeze real quick because right, right, like, hold on, I gotta have. I have to call Brian and hear a Spanish accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's how I start. Bro, yeah. yeah. it's a great podcast. Okay. We make noises. Uh, no, but the. Uh, on old cable TVs, like there were the channels that had the squiggly lines and they'd play like Skinamax at the end. Yes. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure a hundred percent. It's always like, I always thought it was a woman's nipple, but it's probably a dude's nipple yeah. every time. <laughs> <laughs> you were watching scrambled Sesame street. You didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's Big Bird's I'm nipple. Like, Big Bird's eyes. <laughs> they really do something for me. So, okay. So, um, Brian, you know, I kind of wanted your perspective on the barrel aging thing. Would you say you drink, if you had to give a percentage of like craft spirits compared to double macro size spirits, would you say you're like 70% craft or are you 70% double macro or is it kind of just whatever? I know it's kind of just whatever you want to drink in the day and what you have around. But uh, I'd say say just just because of... I'd say it's 70% craft just because I have a lot of that in the cabinet at home. When I go out, you know, I, if I'm going out with friends that I haven't talked to in a while, I want to show them, you know, stuff they probably haven't tried before. So, I mean, you know, sure. If someone wants to grab a Basil Hayden, that's great. It's solid. You're always knowing exactly what you're going to get, but I'm going to try and, you know, push them towards say a single malt or something. Like if they have some call Keegan on the back bar, I'm definitely going to have them try that. If they've never had Westland before, which is, you know, over in Seattle, I'm going to have them try that. You know, especially that's single malt to my thing right now. I've really, you know, anytime I can try a single malt, I'll I'll enjoy it. But if I can push someone towards that just to experiment with something and some of the good stuff out there, I will. Because I feel like that's kind of my, I feel like I have a certain ownership of that as well to, you know, help people explore some of the smaller craft stuff. Okay, so that's kind of what I thought your answer was going to be. So then you have a lot of experience with smaller format aging. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. would you say there's like, could you say there's significant standouts where like, oh, where two things were very comparable, but they used smaller barrels compared to larger barrels. And like you, I think you have an interesting frame of reference on that. Right? And I think it's changed a lot, even just in the last two years, because two years ago, a lot of the stuff, I would say there was more bad than good, admittedly, on the craft side. People were just, like you said, there was over extraction from hell. Everything was too oaky. Or it was just way too young and weak and just there was there was no color to it. It was just disappointing and just it had no legs. I mean, there was the complexity wasn't there. I mean, two years ago, it was 
you know, you didn't know what craft was going to be. But as as things have come out now that actually have some age on them because they've been open for four or five years and because they've learned how to blend, you know, there was a lot of people who were just doing single barrel, you know, whatever they had, they were going to put it in a bottle and hope for the best. Now people have learned that that doesn't work. They have to blend. They have to experiment. They have to get, you know, some qualified people in to figure out what they're doing. It's gotten so much better. And I, Colton, you can speak to this too, because you've been to a lot of these judging events too. And I feel like the last couple of years, it's gotten significantly better. Oh yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it used to be 90% of the table was less than two year old or yeah. one or less than one year old, you know, bourbons and rise. Now it's two to four or four plus year old single malt. Yep. And I'll still say even now, if there's something that came from a distillery that's less than two years, I mean, usually the comment's going to be, even if it's really good, you're going to say, God, this is going to be fantastic in another year. You know, it just yeah. has to get a little more age on it. And again, that's okay. part of that's our own internal bias. Part of that's what consumers expect. You know, it's it may be a good distillate that, you know, the juice may be solid, but it's just it needs a little bit more to really make it, it stand out. I think that this is a I think this is a correlation causation argument then. Right. So mm -hmm. you're saying like, OK, in the two years, is that because they've moved to larger format? You know, maybe they went from 10s to 30s. Right. And, you know, so they've had some time. So do you think that that is the difference or do you think people are learning? And I'm answering my own question. It's a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah. I agree 100 percent. But um, I, I think that there's. There, there, people are able to do it now because they've been established. And hey, since we're the federal excise tax uh, podcast, I think <laughs> that, that, right, that allows people to even have legs a little longer, right? Like, hey, we can stay yeah. afloat a little longer. So, is it going to keep? Do you think that that is, you know, an exponentially growing in that way, as in the quality and because of the aging and people and the learnings that are coming out of it? Yeah. If these next two years have probably helped. I won't put a percentage on it. I don't know for sure. But there's been a, a significant number of distilleries that will be able to keep their door, doors open or at the very least be able to not have to require more uh, investment capital. They won't have to give away more of their controlling interest because they've got a two-year you know, runway now. And they can continue to put out really good product and hopefully grow their base. But, I mean, that only helps so much, to be honest. Are there a number of distilleries that would have survived – now because and they wouldn't have before probably not a good business plan is a good business plan um this helps so that they can control what they're doing more i think we're seeing a lot more of that so people don't have to necessarily take investment from you know there's a lot of investment companies out there now trying to buy up minority stakes you know 20 30 percent because they're speculating and some people are willing to take that now and i don't begrudge them that but it does change how they you know, how they're controlling their own destiny, which again is a whole nother podcast. I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, that, that's a good point. Just investment firms, but also just people who are entering the craft spirits market now are also much better financed than, or not yeah. all of them, but you're seeing a lot more well-financed startups than we were five, six years ago. I think so what we're going to see that, is that probably, that probably affects some of your, yeah, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think you, those well-financed startups are, there's a lot more, con there's more options for contract distilling. Like right. who, right? So there's, uh, I'd say more a variety of liquid that's out there too. And I've been, I mean, I've been affiliated with the craft in industry, obviously before I mean double macro size. And I've seen a significant difference in the last five years. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Not, and it, I mean, I think a lot of it too is there's a lot more of them. Sure. So you kind of have to stand out. So your liquid needs to be pretty good. And yeah. I think that really most recently, though, at those midsize ones with all that capital, they're like, uh, it's, I think the contract distilling is the, is the, what's going on now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which well, will I mean, probably come back ago, to bite some right. of us in the ass later. But yeah. Just if all yeah, these contracts are coming out with. Yeah. But three years ago, there was kind of this perfect storm where there was a shortage of barrels. There was a shortage of source goods. I mean, if you did – or source product. You know, if you didn't have a contract to get, you know, for your bourbon, you were kind of screwed if you're trying to start a new distillery and, you know, sign a contract. It was really tough. Yeah. Isn't that awesome though? So now maybe like the problem in two years is like, oh, well, if you're not willing to contract distill for other places, then – you're not going to open up, right? Like, 
I think Colton's right that we're going to see kind of the disappearance of those that you're either going to be, we're going to see a lot of really micro distilleries that succeed because they're kind of the, the pub style. They're the distilled pub style and they'll make a lot of money in their hyper local area. And especially states that allow multiple tasting rooms, that's going to help a lot. So, you know, in New Mexico, where you can have up to three tasting rooms in the state, they're going to make a lot of money in their local area. And I think they're going to do really well if they have a good business plan. On the other side of that, I think you're going to have kind of those mid-range ones that have, like Colton said, a hell of a lot more investment. And that's going to help them to be able to do contract distilling, to have those economies of scale. They're going to be a lot more successful. It's the stuff in the middle that's going to be really tough now, because those ones in the middle are the ones that three years ago had to put out a white spirit. They had to put out a bunch of DSS just to keep the doors open. And I think consumers were a little more forgiving, maybe a little less educated. Now it's going to be a lot tougher to work under that model. I could be completely wrong, but that's kind of my gut feeling what I've seen over these last few years. It's okay to be wrong. We are just the, <laughs> predicting the future this episode. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> this is the future. Mm. Well, so so Zeno and I right now are drinking what? M- Mizuru? Mizuru? Huh? How do you, how do you Mizunura? pronounce it? Mizunura, yeah. So, I mean, that's how super... I say it. I am not from Japan, in case <laughs> the listener was curious. Yeah. That's my Japanese accent, by I the tried, way. Actually, I did. I was doing Rosetta Stone Japanese. Yeah. And? <laughs> it, was, it was very difficult. Wait, wait. I mean, are, we, are we planning a Still Talking podcast trip to Japan? Can we do that? Is that a thing we can do now? I think oh, I, I thought th- we were going to record if, in Japanese from if, now on. If listener <laughs> somehow finds a way to make this podcast money, yeah. then uh, <laughs> yeah. yes. it's up to you, yeah, It's all on you, listener. Then uh, sure, I'm sure I could. Uh, we could figure something out. Uh, where were we going with that? Oh, Mizunura Oak. Mizunura Oak. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like every conversation we have, every episode is like in full disclosure – we're never high on marijuana, but it's always like we're high on marijuana. Like, yeah. What the fuck were we talking about? Yeah. We have the worst attention span. For Where did we come from? Not do drugs. Yeah. yeah. What are we doing? What are we talking about? Yeah. I, I know it gets cut out of like pretty much every episode, but that's how every episode oh, starts. Some, someday we'll release the raw takes and yeah. we'll lose the listener. What are, we, what, are we, what are we talking about tonight? Yeah. I was literally taking a nap on the couch before this started. <laughs> That's why I came on. I was like, where the hell is he? And then he's like, he's here. <laughs> uh, go on, um, Mizunura Oak. Oh, yeah. So when it first came out, I got really excited and started looking up, okay, where does anyone in the States use this? And there's one distillery in Washington that I found. Uh, so I, I, I forget their name. But I called them up and you know, I was trying to like feel out how often they get shipments over and you know whether or not I could sort of, you know, tag on a barrel or two onto that just to try it out she right. was like oh yeah you know we we get them maybe once or twice a year usually they're only 15 or 20 gallon size and i was like oh that's great we use those anyways that'll work perfect and then the next sentence was and they usually run around three thousand a pop Whoa. i was like oh okay but I it's because the that. trees are you know a hundred years old minimum minimum of 150 years old yeah Wow. Before you even start harvesting them, yeah. So then, how are they making stuff. small barrels from that? Well, why would scraps? It's yeah, what's it left is. over. Yeah, That's I mean, right. Is. You're not taking the heart. You're I taking guess. sort of the. You know, if you're going to so, cut okay. a 150 year old tree down, you better be using all. Not of using it. all of it. You're only using <laughs> yeah. the yeah. center cuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what kind of spirits would listener be, you know, uh, aware of that use this kind of oak? Like, I'm not familiar at all with this kind of oak. Uh, it's, Jap- it's Japanese, Japanese whiskey. It's, yeah. it's okay. a Japanese Japanese whiskeys. Got it. Yeah, like uh, Yamazaki came out. Their, theirs is awesome. Uh, theirs. My, ours. <laughs> <laughs> Not self-promoting here. I have never had it, actually. Uh, but they have one. I think it's, it's. I, I, I want to say it's 21 years old. I don't I don't remember. You look up Yamazaki, Mizunura Oak, and you'll find it. But like their packaging, too. Is the label is made out of like they shaved the oh. wood really thin. It's like paper from the tree. I'm like, that's amazing. Uh, every once in a while, I get I chub up real hard over some fucking packaging, man. <laughs> that's going to be the lead into this episode. Yeah, that's yeah. not even a Definitely. packaging episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, well, barrels are kind of packaging, right? Yeah, there you go. There I you like go. I like that I say I chub up real hard too. Like, <laughs> 
That just means I can't maintain a full erection. <laughs> yeah. That's that's all we've gotten to at this yeah. point is yeah. that Zeno is incapable of a yeah. standard erection. Hey, so I don't know if you can answer this at all, but how long term is the Japanese whiskey shortage going to be? Can you talk to that at all? Because this goes a little bit back you know, to why, why the is idea everyone, of barrels and source. Yeah. Um, why is everyone writing about that now? Because guy, one guy with magazine. One guy, <laughs> yeah. one guy wrote be, about it. Because they did a really good job on the PR side, like explaining it. And it was smart. Actually, it was it was interesting because scarcity increases demand, obviously. And so what they did is they put out a press release saying that in what was it like 90 days, they were going to discontinue a certain brand for a short amount of time. And no one wrote about that. That wasn't a big deal. Or a couple people did, but it wasn't a big deal. But then they immediately, like three days later, did another press release saying at the end of the month, we're going to cut. Do you remember which brand it was? I can't remember which one it was. Maybe a 12 year. But they said, we're going to discontinue in like the end of this month. So essentially by doing back-to-back press releases, one escalating from what the previous press release said, it got people's attention. And then I think, I can't remember if it was Daily Beast or New York Times. Someone, one of the bigger drinks writers grabbed it, wrote an article about it. And because journalists, and I'm not afraid to say this, journalists are lazy as shit and everyone reads each other's articles and all we're doing is trying to find a way not to plagiarize off of everyone else's articles that's why i like being trade side just because i get to write about like original things and i don't actually have to give people news or actual relevant information uh, i just have to give <laughs> just them like, like this podcast. science yeah, right exactly like this podcast <laughs> every once in a while we throw out a, a nugget of science and information but it's not relevant to anything in anyone's world right now uh so that's my world uh, but that's kind of my view of how that happened. Cause that happened when okay. I was in DC, it kind of blew up over the course of a week. Yeah. And that's kind of the press cycle that I saw was that one kind of well-known writer got it. And then everyone tagged off of that and wrote their follow-up pieces. Cause they knew it would get clicks. Yeah. I'm glad so. that you're bringing it up too. It does not surprise me. Right. The guy with the magazine. I right. Mean, right. This has been going on. But I've known this Japanese whiskey shortage has been going on. Mm-hmm way longer than since now everyone's talking about it. I'm like, damn it. Uh, but Should I mean, have stocked like, up six months ago. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I, I almost bought a bottle of Habiki today, but like I, I pull, I used Habiki specifically because it used to be Habiki Harmony 12. Yeah. Right. It's Habiki Harmony. And like, I will say I'm a little biased, but I think arguably some of the best blenders in the world are in Japan. Yeah, and just the style. Yeah, right. Like Habiki Harmony and like what they're doing. And I have a friend who's like, "Oh, Habiki Harmony." So like, it's nowhere near like what Twelve Year was. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, maybe not." But it's still they're getting it to a delicious profile. Still, (laughs) yeah. And I'm like, it it doesn't. I'm okay with it not being the same as long as it's really good. Like, when push comes to shove, the proof is in the pudding. Like, is it good? Good. Right. I feel pretty confident if you were to do a blind side-by-side test, there's not a lot of people that would be able to necessarily pick out specific differences. Yeah. Like I, I, I but could it, be wrong. But, but. but I mean, think about like, so that, I mean, that's obviously was, uh, you know, uh, God damn it. I am terrible with words today for this podcast. <laughs> it's a symptom. It was a symptom of what, of everything that you're talking about the shortage, right? Like that blending is a symptom of that shortage, but, Right. It's, it's been, it's known to be coming now. I think that great. Like you fucking writers are going to create this fucking crazy demand. Now, now it's going to get worse. It's like when people in Nashville were like, we're not going to have gasoline. Oh my God. That was (laughs) insane. It was like a weekend. Yeah. And just out like lines out of every gas station. You go 15 minutes out of town and gas is, you know, three dollars cheaper and no lines yeah it's i mean it's not that it's not real but it's it's gonna get worse now because of that it's a manufactured scare and that's what works really good for again not to capitalize on the conversation about the journalist side but media Media can definitely whip up a frenzy real quick. And especially if, you know, we're dealing with an industry and consumers that love something rare and unique and interesting. And if they think, oh, my God, this product is going to disappear, you know, someone who who's never, you know, tasted Hibiki before may run out and buy a couple bottles now because they think they're never going to get it again. And they've been hearing for years how good it is. 
So from a marketing standpoint, it's awesome for them. It's great for journalists who do consumer side, you know, publication because they can write about this. It will get a lot of reads, a lot of clicks, a lot of shares, and other journalists will reference it. So it's, it's, it will God disappear in a while, but I know it's, it is what Got it, it is. So Brian, so Brian, you need to start writing about craft spirits being a shortage on a shortage <laughs> shortage yeah distillers smoke dying shortage. off at a terrible yeah. rate triple yeah. smoke yeah. triple smoke their head distiller has terminal <laughs> stupidity yeah. well craft bourbon and single malt flying off Man, the shelves I really edited myself hard on that one I was yeah. like uh, uh I'm like AIDS uh yeah. cancer no yeah <laughs> Well, no. So I'll give you another practical example. This was like three, four years ago here in Spokane, Washington. One of the only decent sized distilleries we have is Dry Fly. And they started in 2008. They're pretty well known. I think they're in close to all 50 states. But when they did their very first run of bourbon, their Bourbon 101, they told all the, they basically got a deal with the, the Spokane uh, liquor distributors to only sell two bottles max per customer. And because they did that, some of the local newspapers picked up on that and ran that story saying, hey, first bourbon out, you know, first series of bourbon from Dry Fly, two bottle limit. There were lines at the liquor stores in Spokane that were, you know, around the block, which you never see. You go outside the city limits where they hadn't imposed that, you know, that random stipulation. And you could go in and you could buy 12 bottles that, you know, no one was buying it because no one knew about it. So it was a it was scarcity based on media and you know PR. It was genius. So you had like methadone clinic lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fa- and it's the same thing like you were saying with the gas shortage. You know, it's just it gets in people's psychology, which we could do a whole different series talking about. You know, marketing, PR, psychology. Well, that, we wouldn't sucks. know anything about it, but yes, yeah. I would love for us to do a psychology. We should yeah, talk about psychology. <laughs> like, yeah, there's some deeply repressed <laughs> everything. We like, get a psychologist on this here. podcast, and they just like they basically just <laughs> diagnose us and be like, "You guys are all fucked up." Yeah. I hope that nobody thinks that my voice is actually this gravelly either. This is my podcast voice. <laughs> I actually have a really high yeah. pitched voice. Colton actually puts a really weird choker around his throat and tightens it, so it sounds really gravelly. <laughs> Nothing weird about that, you racist. <laughs> yeah. no, the um, weird thing is that you let Colton tighten it. That's the one that's yeah. weird. <laughs> um. I, 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 something you said made me really upset. You're like, oh, now people are going to run out and buy Habiki because, like, I heard it's really good. God damn it. You should have been doing that already. Like, Agreed. Habiki is really good. It's I'm not, amazing. I'm not saying that because that's what allows me to eat food every day. Um, <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying it because it really is. I really do enjoy that spirit that much. Like, and yeah. all iterations of it, too. So, see, the reason I'm not. It, this kind of media frenzy doesn't offend me too much, even though obviously the underlying issue is bullshit. But the fact that it's a good product that will get people to try it and experience something they wouldn't have otherwise, I'm okay with it. And there's some truth behind it. Like you said, this shortage is not something new. We've been we've, everyone has known about this for you know in the industry the last two to three years. You yeah. probably much longer than that. Them yeah. obviously they've known you know. Ever since the uptick in age spirit sales in the U.S., people have been crunching the numbers. Uh, it's just the actual consumers didn't really know or care about it. And honestly, they'll probably forget about it in a month or so. Something yeah, else exactly. will get on their radar and it's it'll be a non-issue. And then you'll see those products come back on the shelf. Probably with one or two press releases saying, hey, there's a new shipment that'll get sold out. And we then found we found out. some barrels in a warehouse we forgot about. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. right, yeah. I always love those stories, too. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how that's how you know government reporting that's how, works. Uh, you don't have to know where barrels. That's how are. spirits <laughs> needs to market their rapid aged rum. Genius. We found it. We forgot about it for two days, and found it. <laughs> <laughs> we found it inside a cave in Astoria, Oregon, on a pirate ship, yeah. <laughs> locked yeah. away with one eyed Willie. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we made it and forgot about it. Yeah. And then it was the next day. Um, so. <laughs> So we're releasing it now. <laughs> what is this like a is like Memento or yeah, <laughs> right. Distillers yeah. version? The guy that's what they need. They need Guy Pierce to hustle their <laughs> rapid age spirit. He's just looking at tattoos on his arm that said check yeah. the closet. Oh my He's god, like, there's whiskey in here. Remember Sammy Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. We are, we're, we're, we're over an hour, so I think we did good. pretty good. Do we want to cover yeah. anything else? I think we need to do a final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final cool. thoughts. No. All right. Final thought. I think that we should all aim to age in larger, larger barrels and longer periods of time. I don't believe in fast aging. Bold statement. Uh, my final thought is I don't really care. Um, I think that there's some true? real legs to rapid aging in that everyone should keep exploring it and trying really hard and pushing science further so that we can better understand what exactly we're aging in those right. larger formats, longer barrels. And once we have that more of a complete understanding of that, then even if we don't do rapid barrel aging, we have a more complete understanding. Of yeah. Exactly what you're selling. So Colton's an idiot. I hate everyone. <laughs> well said. God, that's hard to follow. Um, I too hate Colton. <laughs> good, and that's it. And there we final go. thoughts. Final yeah. thought. my, my, <laughs> seriously, good. That's going to be a consistent one every episode yeah. from now on. Yeah. My final thought: be transparent with whatever you're doing. If you're doing rapid aging, if you're doing small barrels, if you're doing large barrels, it doesn't matter. If you're using, you know, some unique type of, you know wood staves, chips, whatever, I don't care. Just be transparent, explain what you're doing, let the consumer decide, and then really lean into the quality of your blender. You know, make sure they're, if you, if you have a good blender, you're going to be able to overcome a lot of obstacles. So blend well, be transparent, don't lie, Colton's a dumbass. There we go. <laughs> Squirrel I aging. Too Squirrel aging is the future. <laughs> Squirrel aging. Cheers all. Yeah. I'm hitting stop. <laughs>